Welcome to Office Talk, a fortnightly podcast featuring in-depth conversations with leading architects about their approach to business, marketing, and communications. I'm your host, Dave Sharp, an architectural marketing expert and director of Office Dave Sharp, a marketing practice offering specialized consultancy, marketing, and PR services tailored to meet the particular needs of architects. Visit officedavesharp.com to learn more or follow the practice on Instagram at officedavesharp. Hey everybody, welcome to the Office Talk Q&A episode. Today I'm going to be answering questions that listeners have sent in to the show. They're tough, they're challenging, they're great questions. They're really going to put me on the spot. I've had a quick look at them. I haven't spent really any time uh, kind of thinking through my answers, which uh, we'll see how well that goes, but I really wanted it to be a kind of off-the-cuff thing. Uh, As some of you know, I'm a marketing consultant for for a day job outside of this podcast. What I do is I I spend all day working with architects, uh, talking about their marketing issues, developing uh, developing marketing strategies, uh, brand strategies, all that sort of good stuff. And so uh, answering the questions today is just going to be a chance to kind of share my point of view on some of these different topics that I, I know that a lot of studios are thinking about or struggling with. Um, so I'm really looking forward to getting into the questions. But firstly, I just want to say a big thank you to everybody for listening to Office Talk. Uh, I, I love um, the response that I get from all of you. Um, for the show, there's it's so much work to put the show together, honestly, but uh, it makes me so happy to see so many of you enjoying it, uh, listening, the audience increasing substantially, uh, people sending me lovely messages on Instagram and email. I really do appreciate it. And so I'm really looking forward to the podcast, keeping on going the direction it's going. We've got some amazing guests coming up and uh, yeah, and later on this year, we're also going to be launching a UK version of the show. So if uh, an episode of the Australian Office Talk is not enough for you, you're going to have a UK version to listen to as well. So it's all very, very exciting. So let's get into the questions. The first one is from Anthony Richardson from Simple Dwelling. Massive fan of Simple Dwelling and Anthony, he's been on the podcast before. If you want to go way back through the archives, you can listen to that episode. He asks, what's the best way an architecture practice or publication can communicate what they stand for? How would that look on a website versus social media posts? And what would be great to include or and also exclude from an about an about section. So to the first kind of question, Anthony, what's the best way an architecture practice or publication can communicate what they stand for? So there's so many different ways to do this and it's a really complex and complicated issue and it's very situational. And actually that reminds me, before I get into answering these questions, I just have to say that this is all going to be very general advice. Uh, it may not apply to your studio's personal situation. In fact, you might need to do the opposite thing of what I say today, but I'm going to do my best to give, I guess, some general responses that I think, you know, design-focused studios will will be conscious of, right? So anyway, let's get into this. What's the best way? Oh, I can talk about one way, uh, Anthony. I think in terms of um, talking about what you stand for, the most important thing, firstly, that I want to get across is that the best way is to do it simply. Uh, I see a lot of studios that their their communication of what they stand for just goes on and on and on forever. They'll have their design philosophy, their design approach, their design values, their design manifesto, their stakeholder engagement uh, approach, their design process. Like this is all within one page or a couple of pages on their website or something. So the first thing is um, don't overestimate how much uh, space your brand can occupy in people's brains. 
brand, um, brands play a very, very small role in people's lives. We don't have much room for them. We don't really think about them that much. And we don't have many memories that we associate with brands, even the ones that we really like and the ones we know very well. So you don't have much room. You've got to keep it simple. Stick to a few words or concepts. Um, just two, two, three, four ideas, um, words will, will be all that you can really aim for. But if you keep it really simple, really simple, you'll be surprised how uh, refreshingly kind of confident and easy to understand your brand will be. So I'll talk to about how you can develop those words or concepts and where they should come from. The first thing with a uh, this challenge that Anthony's put to me, and I love this question. I'm probably going to spend ages on it because it's one of my favorite topics. Um, the thing that uh, the first thing I have to say, apart from making it really simple, is that try to separate in terms of you actually working on improving this in your studio or at your publication. In Anthony's case. Try to break the process into two stages. First, a sort of diagnosis and discovery phase where you're basically just trying to explore all the different possibilities. Generate lots of ideas, you know, brainstorm it. Um, go go talk to some clients. Go, go talk to some loyalists. Anthony needs to find his most loyal subscribers and go talk to them and go, what do you think my publication stands for? Um, look back at all past materials, all versions of the website, all capability statements that have been written. Try to find words and concepts that have existed in the past that you might have forgotten about. So generate lots of different options. Talk to the whole team. Everyone can throw, throw different ideas in the hat. And then look at the ideas that you've got and see if any of them are too broad or too general. Maybe we can be more detailed. Do we actually mean something more specific? When we say attention to detail is out one of our key areas, it's like, well, what do we really mean? Is there, is there maybe a more specific way that we can sort of say that? So look, I think this is the diagnosis stage. Generate all the ideas, get them all out there. And I think what that will do is give you better options to consider. Because when you move on to the next stage, which is the expression or articulation of what your brand stands for, if you just go straight to that stage, what you'll tend to do is just come up with the same three or four good sounding words that everyone else comes up with. And you'll feel like they sound good, but you know, you won't really be thinking very hard about what your brand could be. And you might be overlooking some possibilities. So definitely go through a process of sort of exploration first. And then take that list and that's where you have to make the strategic choices and they're going to be hard choices to narrow it down to three or four most important things on that list. You're going to have to get rid of some very important things that you would love to talk about and you would love to represent as a brand, but you just don't have room for them in people's heads. You just cannot do everything. So you're going to have to really distill it down to the three or four most important things on that list. And it will be tough, but that is a, that is the process. It's about it's as much about the things we're not going to talk about as what we could talk about. Um, so I think that's where you end up with really great clear positioning, and it, it, this it, it creates distinctiveness and it creates differentiation or relative differentiation as well. If you do this, I've actually got a list that I've been working on over time of about like fifty. I can't even. I don't even know how many words are on there. Words that I often see architects use to sort of describe themselves and describe their studio. And the, the funny thing about this list is that there's thousands of free word combinations. And I can, I've just chucked them into a random word uh, selector so that you can pick three at a time. And they, pick, they pull out what feels like extremely clear articulate messages. I've just clicked a button and it said attainable, enduring, and modern 
I can imagine a studio that would be attainable, enduring, and modern as their as their stand for. Let's do another one. Intelligent, positive, and award-winning. <laughs> Maybe that's that's a slightly less cool one, but that still works. Expressive, sophisticated, and livable. That is cool. Like I think those three words could become a positioning for for an architecture practice. So I think I will actually post a link to this list of words actually, and that that's probably a good idea, so that people can go and look and make some combinations, or, or just see if there's any words or concepts on there that are maybe missing from their own list or they're not thinking about. Just quickly on Anthony's second part, God, I'm going to have to speed these ones up. Um, Anthony's second part is how would that look on a website versus social media? So a website, it will really primarily just focus on the on the main three terms. It could be expressed very simply like our, our, our brand, our practice is about three things, design that is expressive, sophisticated, yet livable, right? Like that's a positioning statement. It doesn't necessarily need to be more than that, but it could be. You could, you could say more about it as long as you're careful not to start bringing in too many other ideas and letting and having this kind of scope creep but that would be your kind of like philosophy or your positioning but then we also just have some very basic information that we need to tell people where we are how long we've been around how big our studio is who is our leader what is our recog- what sort of recognition or kind of like um signs of success do we have to talk about what what kind of categories or or sectors do we work in if that's relevant in terms of um, rolling it out on social media, now that's where it gets a little bit more complicated because really on social media, what are we doing? Let's talk about Instagram. We're posting visuals. We're posting images. We'll have 30 images of a new project. We'll post those all on Instagram. So what do we have? We have a picture of a kitchen, a picture of a living room, you know, like that's that's what we've got. But I think it's a good idea to think about when you're writing your captions or or generating your kind of messages about this project is to start off by doing another kind of brainstorming exercise. Take your three words. So let's say those three that I looked at earlier that top, that popped up on my other monitor randomly, expressive, sophisticated, livable. I'd start with each of them. I'd go through them, expressive. Let's think of three or four different aspects of this project that tie into this theme of expressiveness. Let's think like kind of quite literally about it. Let's think sort of abstractly about it. Let's think about the client, their self-expressiveness. You know, there's all these sorts of different ways or angles that you can attack that. But let's list those out. And then we've got a we've got a whole bunch, maybe we have three, four, five ideas we've come up with of different ways expressiveness is part of the design thinking of this project, let's move on to sophistication. What are three or four ways that this project is exemplary of sophistication and and so on and so forth. So we end up with this list of, you know, 12, 15 different kind of things to say about this project, but they're all feeding into these key brand themes that we're trying to articulate. So we don't have to like directly say across every post, our brand is about expressiveness, sophistication and livability, but we just talk about themes that, that fit within that umbrella. So hopefully that answered Anthony's questions and uh, gave a little bit of an overview about articulating and discovering and clarifying what you stand for. So moving on to the next question, Anne Robson asks, what would your best startup marketing strategy be? Well, Anne, it is a very good question and it is a common one and it's also a very tricky one. And I've got, I think, mostly bad news about the startup phase. It's probably when marketing is going to be its, its hardest um, the good news is that it'll only get easier as your practice goes on over time and you've got projects and you've got marketing budget and you've got uh, all sorts of things 
going for you um, and you've got an audience and people are aware of you. But in the beginning, you don't have any of those things. <laughs> no one knows who you are. You don't have any money to spend. You don't have any finished projects. Uh, yeah, it is It is tough time. You're short on time. You're short on resources. Uh, yeah, it's brutal. So look, um, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a big believer that there's any real shortcuts that you should take at that stage. Uh, in fact, I think the studios that tend to um, come out the best overall uh, are the ones that get out of that phase in the strongest position are the ones that have been disciplined. Maybe putting out that like tiny little renovation that doesn't really fit with what you're trying to do. They recognize that we just have to not put that out and not photograph that as tempting as it is, um, you know, things like that. Uh, but I think there's a couple of specific things that I think are important to work on during that stage generally speaking, it's better off to take a longer term perspective and start by beginning your process, at least uh, that initial period, just planning what your approach to marketing is going to be, defining your brand, um, deciding on what your values are going to be as a studio. What channels are you going to market yourself on? Are you going to focus on visuals, uh, photography, magazines, awards, uh, or are you going to focus more of a sort of local business strategy, you know, Google, SEO, there's so many different sort of ways that you can skin the cat as an architecture practice, but deciding on kind of what direction do you want to head as a practice, uh, that's a process to spend time figuring out in the beginning and planning ahead so that you've got a game plan, even if it's one that's going to take two years to come to fruition, planning ahead for what you're going to do, setting up a budget for your marketing, even if it's small in the beginning, you're, you're putting yourself ahead of most practices by at least having a budget, starting to save up. You know you're going to have some big expenses in year two when your projects are going to be coming to completion. Uh, if you already have a little bit of money, some savings or some capital that you can invest into the business and speed the process up, then I would engage uh, a branding agency to help you establish that brand identity in some form or another. It may not be articulated as a website yet. I would love it if it could be, but it might just be thinking about what's the what are the visual codes of the brand? What's the sort of aesthetic uh, language that we're going to start? What sort of style of imagery do we need? What sort of process imagery style? Like defining all those visual assets is really, really important. Uh, building a distinctive brand is extremely important. So I, I personally think that, um, and my advice has changed on this over the last few years. I used to be very, you know, you don't need any of that stuff. Just get a Squarespace website. You're all good. None of it matters. But um, but I was an idiot. <laughs> it turns out I was totally wrong. Uh, I think, um, you know, these days there's nothing I love to see more than a studio that's uh, coming to me a few years old, even if they've just got one project, but it's been shot by, you know, Derek Solwell or Rory Gardner. They've got a beautiful website designed by a good branding studio, you know, not costing a hundred grand, but, but like good and decent and done well. A studio like that, I look at and I'm like, oh, you're just, you, the foundations for success in your marketing are just, they're here. And so I would just say to any small studio, setting yourself up to do things properly in year two and three is really what you want to be focusing on. Uh, look, I, I think in terms of getting out there in the short term, I'd say like you obviously need to get new clients, right? Like part of your marketing should be probably 80% getting new clients at that stage, 20% developing your long-term brand. Like I think it would be pretty 
unrealistic of me to ask you to spend any more than, uh, you know, 20% of your time, energy and money on long-term at that stage when you're just dying to get projects. But the reality is that those projects that you get will not come from the ether. They will not come from, you know, the market. They will come from connections and your network and professionals that you work with and word of mouth. They always do. They're not going to come from marketing. Uh, if there's a potential client out there that's in the market that's considering all their options available to them, the chance that they're going to go for your studio, given how limited your current marketing is and your and your profile and your portfolio, it's just extremely unlikely. Uh, I think we'll talk a little bit more later about kind of word of mouth and network, but I would probably be focusing on a, a mix of long and short in your initial first like kind of 12-month strategy where, you know, let's say... Um, 30, 40% of your effort is going to be focused on long-term stuff. And then 60% of your time will be focused on that short-term navigating that network, meeting people, building connections, doing a really good job, trying to stimulate word of mouth, all that sort of stuff. So that short-term you're generating leads that way, but long-term you're building a really good brand with really, really high quality visuals. Um, that's got a really great, well-defined message that has a plan that has a budget all of that stuff is what you want to be focusing on with that long term. Okay, and love the question. Thank you so much. Geordie Shaw asks, there's been a lot of hype, some justified about artificial intelligence lately. Are there any tools, tips or tricks that architects should be aware of that would assist with marketing, social media, etc.? I I feel I'm I'm surprised that I actually don't have a very good answer for this. I've really been trying my best with AI and chat GPT. And so far, it's just frustrated me more than anything. Um, every time I've tried to do anything important with it, it's gotten 30% of it wrong, you know, like it just doesn't listen to my instructions. So um, I'm not in love with AI at the moment. I'm finding it kind of annoying. And um, But that said, my clients are using AI a little tiny bit. Sometimes some small studios, like really, really small studios that are in that early startup stage, they might not be, um, they're not at a stage where they'll be keen to engage a copywriter necessarily, but still they, they would value having kind of a writing partner, somebody that they can work back and forth with on copy for maybe their website or their newsletters or their social media. I think I think AI and ChatGPT is helpful for that, but I'm sorry, Jordi, I don't know any cool tools that, that are really good. There is probably one thing in AI that I think to me at the moment feels kind of high quality and cool and interesting, which is, you know, people doing these kind of mid journey visuals. And I think as a technique to potentially generate um, concept imagery and sort of these quite ephemeral sort of design moments, I think it's actually interesting for that. And if you look at, you know, Tom Blatchford, the photographer, or um, there's, there's an architect I went to university with um, Craig from Grotto studio uh, in Western Australia, who has been using and creating lots of good so social media images using AI. I think there's something interesting there as a way to just express these singular ideas that aren't full on projects, but they're just images of spaces and atmosphere. Matt Goodman from MGAO, who I've had on the podcast before, he built a lot of his earlier social media audience was around creating single facades or internal uh, perspectives of spaces that don't exist, that weren't real projects. And I love that approach and everyone else did, I think as well. So I think AI is interesting for that. 
and I think that's going to be something that some studios will crack onto. It's becoming massively important, uh, uh, popular. Um, so look, I think there could be something there, but at the moment, there's no amazing tools that are just like automatically generating social media. And look, there, there are tools like that actually, but I wouldn't touch them with a barge pole. They just produce absolute shit 90% of the time. And as a high quality architecture brand, I think generally when we do anything, when we do copywriting, when we do branding, when we do social media, we want to do it in the most kind of like careful, beautifully done, most considered way. And sometimes I think that these AI generated tools are completely about quantity over quality. And I would just be staying away from them for the most part. Anonymous asks, what are the KPIs benchmarks in marketing for social and email? How long does a startup need to market before a consistent number of inquiries is achieved? So I'll answer maybe the second question first, Anonymous. Thank you for submitting that. How long does a startup need to market before a consistent number of inquiries is achieved? Well, that's actually quite an interesting question. And I, I don't think time is necessarily a guarantee that you'll achieve consistent inquiries for a couple of different reasons. Uh, firstly, it's not about how long you market for. It's about how well you market, right? <laughs> and how good your strategy is. So uh, you could market your practice very poorly for years and not really achieve anything. Uh, or you could market it really, really well and achieve stuff really quickly. Uh, luck is also a factor. You could market your studio well and get really unlucky. So it takes longer or be very lucky and it will happen sooner. Uh, so th those are a couple of really important things. Um, I also think consistency oftentimes has a lot to do with uh, has a lot to do with the economy at large and how the construction market is going. And we've all seen a lot of that in the second half of last year and the first half of this year that uh, when the market really slow slows down and confidence takes a big hit, we see a big drop off in inquiries. And there are a lot of studios that were previously seeing very consistent inquiries that are suddenly feeling like they're not seeing consistent inquiries at all. So yeah, I wouldn't get too caught up in this ideal of the studio that has consistent inquiries inquiries and never has to worry about inquiries again. I think that's just, um, you know, bullshit from marketing people really um, when you actually meet studios in the real world. And I have the, you know, the good fortune of getting to do that through my work and also through my podcast, I get to have really um, quite honest discussions with them about how their business is going and how their inquiries are tracking. And uh, yeah, like great studios still have months or quarters or halves of the year where they feel like things are quieter than they would like them to be. Um, there's nothing wrong with their marketing. There's nothing wrong with their brand. But like, you know, we go through these patches where it happens. So look, I, I wouldn't try to make that the goal, you know, um, the thing you're going to get to because you might be chasing after something that just doesn't really exist for anybody. So then in terms of the second part of the question about KPIs and benchmarks, uh, I think this is actually a really complex and fascinating area. It's certainly something that I've gotten a lot better at over time. Uh, in the earlier days of my consulting practice, I would be kind of measuring the same sorts of things that everybody else would be. So number of inquiries, um, you know, projects one, uh, website traffic. Instagram followers, but these are very generic uh, KPIs. They they don't really relate to um, the kind of goals and objectives that an architecture practice might have or want to focus on at the core of their kind of marketing strategy. Um, so generally what I've learned over time and something that I've started implementing a lot more recently is that a good way to structure a marketing strategy is around one or two uh, big objectives for the year, things that we really want to focus on in the next 12 months. You'll also have long longer term objectives for your brand, but you, you should really be um, 
focusing your strategy around a main objective that you really want to concentrate on in the year ahead and make it make it specific, make it measurable, all that sort of stuff. So an example of a really simple objective and honestly one that is brought to me quite often by practices is that, hey, we would like to get published more. You know, we would like to see our work featured more often in the media. And <clears throat> that might be a really good objective to focus on for the next 12 months. That's cool. There's all sorts of benefits of that that tie into longer term objectives and needs of the practice, but they might decide to really concentrate on that as their kind of main objective. That's really the big thing that they want to focus on. And they believe that that will lead to positive things if they do that. So then what you'd want to do is establish um, ways of measuring that and, and tracking that, uh, which can be pretty straightforward based on that objective. So if we want to improve our exposure in the media, we might decide to um, measure instances where we get published. Uh, we might decide to create a system for ranking the quality or prestige or uh, or size of those publications. And that way we can also kind of capture digital publications also. Uh, we might start off at the beginning of the year by doing an analysis of what we were achieving last year so that we've got something to compare on. And then we can say, okay, we're, we were published twice in magazines and five times online. This year we want to do, you know, four times in magazines and 20 times online or whatever, you know, like we're going to, we're going to double our share of the media this year. And that's our goal that we want to concentrate on. And that might not be everybody's goal, but for some studios, that might be um, the objective that they really want to focus on in the year ahead. And then they can develop some ways of tracking that um, and some intermediate goals and all sorts of things. So that gives you something really, really good to focus on. And then if they have a second objective, they would need to have a couple of other KPIs that they would need to focus on as well. So there's all sorts of objectives. There's all sorts of ways of measuring those objectives. But I think that's an important part of the exercise is not to take uh, general kind of uh you know, overall things like just number of visitors and we want to increase that by 10% or we want, you know, 10 leads a month or something like that because they're too, they're too broad. They're not specific enough. Um, you're not really in control of them. They don't relate to things that you're trying to achieve in the short term. So always a good idea to decide what your big objective for the year is going to be, the big thing that we're going to push for, uh, and then decide on a couple of ways that you can track that. And quite often those are going to be pretty simple. So that will hopefully give you everything you need to think about in terms of uh, benchmarking and KPIs. Okay, moving on to the next question from another anonymous. What is your favorite marketing case you have seen? Oh God, that's a hard question. Um, could be from any size office in Australia. Do you have any horror story where, uh, this is now part two, do you have a horror story where you've watched a strategy or branding backfire? Oh geez. Okay. Tough questions because I have to actually remember some stuff. Um, Okay, so this one is actually, in terms of favorite marketing case you, you've seen, this is actually so recent, so it's just top of mind. So it's probably not the fame, um, my favorite case study I've ever seen, but it's one that just comes to mind. I think it's a really good one, and I think it's probably one of my favorites at the moment. So I work with a studio in Melbourne called Bauer Architecture, and Bauer decided over summer to take a bit of inspiration from uh, a studio in Queensland called Maytree Studios, Rebecca Matry has been on my podcast before and I love, I love what she does and she's very creative uh, in terms of thinking about new ways that they can open their studio up to the public, be more approachable, develop their service offering in unique and interesting ways. But one of the things that Matry have done previously is they did these summer sessions and winter warmers. So basically they would invite prospective residential clients to come into the studio for a I think a one or two hour kind of session and they'd have 
wine and cheese and crackers and all that sort of good stuff and sit down and talk about architecture and talk about the process. Uh, and it was a fantastic thing and they were raising money for charity and it was such an inspiring idea. I really loved it. So Bauer is also an extreme, they're, they're a residential focused studio. They're extremely friendly, very approachable. So this seemed like a really good thing for them to try over the period of sort of December, January, where it's quite a quiet period residential generally. December, January is always quite quiet. You don't expect to see that many inquiries over December, November, December. So they wanted to do it as a bit of a different thing to do, but most importantly, they really liked the idea that they could raise money for charity. So Anna and Shema are both um, survivors of breast cancer and they are very passionate about charities related to breast cancer. So they decided to do summer sessions where they would just do a limited number of these sessions. They only opened up their calendar for five of them, uh, 90 minutes where people could register, come into the studio, sit down with the two directors, talk about their projects, their blocks of land, their stuff that another architect might have designed for them, whatever they needed to talk about their project. It was $800 for the 90 minutes, but all of that money was going to charity. 100% was donated to Breast Cancer Trials uh, Australia, uh, which is a charity that they're both very passionate about. The sessions were a great success on many levels. You know, first and foremost, they raised a fantastic amount of money for charity. Um, but I think most importantly, you know, uh, it's always a great idea and, and something that's very challenging to do as an architect is to actually get people to engage with you earlier on in their journey. Um, so I like these sorts of ideas of something like this because I think it does give you that very, very positive way to actually say to people, hey, it's not too early, it's never too early in the process to come and speak to an architect. You might be thinking about contacting us months down the road, but we're available now and we're happy to we're happy to talk to you. Your project is not at a super developed stage at this point and we're just giving you some initial advice and talking about the process and telling you what to expect from it and who you need to speak to and what the costs would be and we're we're taking on that role of like educating you and informing you early in the process, but that's okay. We're we're willing to invest in, in you as a potential client. And then later on down the road, when you're ready, you can come back to us and you'll come back to us because we were so generous with our time early on in that process, even though you weren't ready to start working with us. Um, I just think that's really smart. And again, not for everybody, not for every studio, um, but for a lot of studios, I think that that's actually a really nice case. And I just feel like it just went so well on so many levels that I basically kind of think of that. That's what comes to mind at the moment when I think of kind of this question of favorite marketing case. Cause really I just, I couldn't be happier with how that worked out for Bauer recently. Okay. Moving on to part two. Do you have horror story where you watched a strategy or branding backfire? Um, not really. You know, what's actually quite interesting is that branding rebranding in most areas of business is a success if nothing bad happens <laughs> in a lot of cases. You think of any like big major brand, you know, what happens the day they like rebrand. It's just always ridicule. The whole thing's a disaster. Um, but in architecture, I, 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 my experience, my observations is that it's almost universally a good thing to take a business that has never had a proper brand, brand identity, never had a proper website or has had that stuff, but it's 15 years old. And to freshen up and revitalize it and make it current and make it new and make it and make it modern. I mean, I, I, I just see that as always being transformative. And I think it very rarely goes wrong. 
Okay, now moving on to the next question from Eddie. Similar to the startup question, how does one market their practice prior to getting some nice schmicko images of completed work, knowing it can take years to get a good project to completion, let alone one good enough to photograph? Uh, as I sort of said earlier, Eddie, I think it's uh, there's not a whole lot of marketing you really can do in that stage. The reason that you're struggling to think of anything is because there isn't much you can do, honestly. Uh, as I said earlier, really focus on your planning, your strategy, developing your budget, planning ahead, really looking to roll your marketing out in year two, year three. There's nothing wrong with that. In the short term, focus on your short term, connecting, lead generating, activating, but that's not really marketing. That's sales. I mean, it kind of falls under the marketing umbrella, but look, honestly, it's not really going out there. You're not going to Instagram post your way to uh, a, a full book of clients before you've even finished a project. It's just, that would just be unreal expectations. So just accept that situation and go, okay, look, that's how it is, but let's plan ahead to do things properly once that first project rolls out. Maybe what I didn't touch on earlier actually is project related uh, renders, honestly. Um, I know this is very tactical. It's not really a strategy, but you can visualize your work earlier, obviously. There are studios out there that are making major investments in visualization around unbuilt projects. But the reason that they do that is because the visualization, uh, well, firstly, it brings forward the project by a year or more, you know, two years maybe in the pipeline so that you don't have to wait that additional two years. You can start marketing that design sooner. Um, really atmospheric renders, really evocative renders. So I'm not just talking about something that looks like it belongs on the hoarding outside a uh, multi-res development. I'm not talking about that super, you know, super, super crazy photo real stuff. I'm talking about like architectural visualization that has like real atmosphere and mood and, and, and is evocative. That sort of imagery, it is going to be limited in terms of what you can do with it, but it will at least mean that when people come and look at you over that first year or two, they get a sense of what your architecture is about. If you don't have any strong visuals around that stuff that's in the pipeline and no finished things, you're not going to attract clients that are coming for your design. You're, the only clients you'll get will be um, but will be ones that are just looking for uh, convenience, price, proximity, and that's there's nothing wrong with that at all. That in the initial stages, that is a lot of the client that you're going to be working with, but it allow you to get more into that kind of more design specific client sooner. If you do invest in those visuals, you're much more likely to get that client that's going to say, look, I've seen this project in your portfolio. I think it's absolutely fantastic. That's exactly the type of design idea we're going for or we want or we've dreamed about. We're so keen to chat to you. Like there's much better odds of that happening when you invest in those visuals. Uh, and those visuals can also, you know, they can go like bloody viral on social media and Instagram. You just have to look at examples recently of um, field office architecture, uh, is a is a terrific example, Chris, um, where they, uh, you know, they were working on a project that uh, we spoke about it actually on the episode I did with him. It didn't end up going ahead as a project, but went and got some great visuals done by Kin Studio in the UK. And uh, that project just went, you know, phenomenally um, uh, popular, got published even, even though they're just renders, which is so uncommon, but that can happen to any studio. You know, you don't need to be an established practice for that to happen. If you've got a really great project in the pipeline um, that will benefit from being articulated through some really beautifully done images, you can be off to the races and, and competing with the best studios out there from a, a marketing standpoint without necessarily having even finished that project. You can get a lot of reach just as much as they can. But the key is your images have to be done really well. 
Um, you can't cut corners and try to get the same outcome for a fifth of the price. Um, you really need to work with good people. So that option might not be available to every studio, might not have the budget to do that. But for some studios, that would probably be one of the one of the exceptions, I think, where because Eddie, you raised project photos, I'm going to talk project photos, but a different kind, the visual, you know, the rendered kind. Next question is from Tim Smith. I think this could be the Tim Tim Smith from Archibiz. If so, hi Tim, thanks for your question. Most practices get a significant proportion of their new work through word of mouth, which is very true. Uh, what is the best approach or strategy to harness this worth word of mouth referral to maximize this opportunity? So basically, what are a few things that you could do to um, to yeah to harness word of mouth and maximize it? Ah, there's a oh, there's so many things. Um, so word of mouth is obviously really important. Studios, when they're in the early days of their marketing, ninety percent plus of their business, like we actually measure this. Like a client will list out all of their clients, all of their clients or all of their inquiries and say, where did they come from? And attribute them to marketing or referral or word of mouth. And studios will be like 90% plus word of mouth referral in those early days. And that's to me like a sign that their marketing has not really developed. They have undeveloped marketing and brand. But then as a studio builds its marketing and builds its brand and builds its brand awareness and gets its work out there and does good work and photographs it properly and all that sort of stuff, that that 90-10 starts to shift, 80-20, 70-30, until eventually you get to the point where it might be 80% uh, marketing and brand, 20% word of mouth referral, right? So that actually can happen. There are some studios that have that big of a uh, mix where almost all of their work might come from their branding and their marketing and their content and their projects. There are plenty of studios like that. A lot of them are the ones that I have on this podcast. So everything being, you know, word of word of mouth and referrals being really important is not a general, um, it, it, it does not apply to every studio, but it does apply to most studios. So we do need to talk about how do, how do we kind of boost it. The first thing I think is that, you know, there's that kind of passive way of boosting it, remaining top of mind and actually keeping in touch with that audience. People are not going to remember you. Uh, sorry, they're not going to recommend you if they've forgotten about you. <laughs> so the first thing you have to do, just like any marketing, is you have to stay in people's minds. You have to be keeping in touch with them frequently. You have to be top of mind. They have to be seeing your stuff so that you're kind of on the tip of their tip of their lips uh, when when it, when an opportunity arises to recommend you or to put your name out there. So predominantly, that's going to be uh, Instagram. That's going to be an email newsletter. These are two really important retention channels. Uh, also, do, like kind of direct one to one, kind of talking to people, engaging with people, staying in touch with people. That's really important. So stay top of mind, stay engaged. Some studios will have a CRM of important contacts where it just allows them to set reminders and triggers. You have not spoken to X person in 90 days. Do something, send them an email. Chris from Field Office uh, spoke about his champions list uh, in, in the episode we did together where he's got this list of really important people that he speaks to regularly, even if it's just sending them a quick message. The other thing is you also need to improve your perception of your brand to drive word of mouth. I had an example of this the other day where somebody was telling me that they made a connection with a really, really great interior designer and they they just, they hit it off like beautiful relationship. There was just such good chemistry and they were going, oh, we've got to work together. But then the interior designer said to the architect, I would love to recommend you to my clients, but I've looked at your website and I don't, I don't feel, I don't want to show, <laughs> I don't want people, I don't want to recommend you and then have people look at your website and see what's there at the moment. 
So basically their website was not good. Uh, their brand was not good and they didn't look good. And people are only going to recommend brands that they feel reflect well on them. It's vouching for somebody, right? But I also think that extends to how your brand presents, um, how your website looks, uh, how you are seen, what's the sort of profile and reputation brand, like all encompassing brand of your practice. If that is strong, people will feel very confident recommending you. They'll, they'll take pride in recommending you if you're perceived as a strong brand. And that perception can be improved through all aspects of your marketing. It could be even things like winning awards, getting published, being in magazines. All of that stuff reflects extremely well on your brand. And when your core audience sees that, they're going to feel more pride, more confidence in recommending you. Whereas if they see all the opposite signs, nothing going on, no recognition, not great projects, bad photos, bad branding, bad website they're going to feel like, oh, they're good. Like I know they were good to work with, but I don't know if they reflect that well on me, you know? There's also, I think like the short-term way of generating word of mouth. Something that's come up a lot lately, particularly talking about that period where there's been a real kind of like slowdown in inquiries and stuff. And a lot of people are having this conversation of what can I do to like pick up inquiries? And it's not going to be marketing related improvement on that front. There's nothing that you're going to do in your marketing that's going to make inquiries come in the door in in the next like, you know, one to two months. But one of the ways that people can get active on that area, start doing something about it is to, is to look at that word of mouth and that referral network. So one of the strategies that can work is let's say you're going to take one of your most loyal past clients rather than having a conversation with them and going, oh, could you recommend me to anybody? Uh, one way that you can get them more engaged in the process is to actually frame it as a collaborative process and say, look, I'm looking for ideas on things that I might be able to do or people that I might be able to speak to that would help me get more clients like you. I'm talking to you because you're, we've identified you as one of our best clients, our favorite client. And we think that, you know, if we could just replicate you and clone you and have 10 clients like you, our studio, we would all die happy. We would love our job. Everything would be perfect. So we were wondering if you had any suggestions for how we can get more people like you working with our studio. So that changes the dynamic a little bit and it gets people actually thinking a lot more proactively about how they can help you, how they can, how they can recommend things to you or people you might want to speak to or places you might want to go to get more people like them. I think that just a little bit of reframing there can actually make quite a big difference. And I've seen some really cool results when my clients have had that conversation. Uh, and sometimes there's just some really, really great ideas that come out of it or some really great invitations or that client, that person that they speak to will go, oh my God, I can absolutely help you get more people like me. I'm going to go contact this person, this person, this person. You can go have coffee with all of them and I'm going to arrange all of it. Like that's happened and it's been absolutely amazing. So I think that is a good way to approach that sort of stimulating the referral and word of mouth. So yeah, the three things, I think that direct kind of collaborative engagement with individuals, improving your brand and marketing and brand perception overall improves the um the, the kind of the confidence that people have referring you and staying top of mind, staying in touch with people frequently across multiple channels and just keeping them, keeping yourself on their radar, not being forgotten about. I think those are three really important ways that come to mind. So hopefully that was helpful, Tim. And finally, the last question we have on the list today, Mel Fletcher asks, what's the best way to consistently market when word of mouth referrals are currently keeping you busy? Oh, what a good problem to have. So word of mouth referrals are currently keeping you busy. What's the best way to consistently market? So, um, well, look, I think if you're busy, I think one of the things to remember is you're not going to be able to spend a whole lot of time on your marketing. You maybe could, you could try it you know, like practically, you probably could, but 
in terms of your energy levels and enthusiasm for marketing and your motivation, it's going to be at a very low level. Generally, that's been my experience. So generally speaking, I think what you actually need to do is take advantage of the fact that you're busy. You've got lots of cash coming in the door. You're making money. You've got maybe like a wait list that's starting to develop of clients where you can't even service everybody. You're making people wait to work with you. These are all fantastic conditions for good marketing. So what I'd be doing during that period would be I'd be starting to go, okay, look, I'm going to shave off a bit of this revenue I'm generating and I'm going to put a little bit of budget, a bit of a budget aside and I'm going to start engaging some people to make some improvements uh, to my brand, to my marketing. So maybe that is the time you engage the graphic designer that we haven't had, that we haven't spoken to previously, or we, um, or we get the photographer in the mix or we, or we commission some renders or we hire the copywriter, whatever it is, you know, like we start making some investments because they're not going to take up heaps of your time. They're going to be other people's time that you're paying for, but you're going to have this sort of return of these beautiful visual assets, this really great content that's going to be coming back in the door. And then you just have the easy job of just releasing it. Seriously, it doesn't get any easier than taking beautiful new renders or beautiful new whatever you've been given by a photographer or a videographer or whatever, these great assets. All you've got to do is share them, you know, just put them out there. How That's easy as. So yeah, if you're really, really busy, just really focus on actually making a good financial investment into your marketing and into your brand. Uh, I think that's a really great time to do that. All right, guys, thank you so much for asking all of these fantastic questions. They were challenging. I hope I answered them okay uh, and that people got some interesting things out of today's uh, out of today's episode. But we are going to have to pick a winner uh, for the $100 voucher. And I am going to go with Anthony Richardson for his question about the best way that an architecture practice or publication can communicate what they stand for, uh, how they can vary that across their website and social media and what to include and exclude in their about section. I just think it was a really great question. And it's asking a really important thing about how do you kind of clarify what your brand's about and what you stand for. So I, I, I love that topic, but we had so many good questions. And in general, guys, I think uh, I'm keen to keep these questions going so you can can, uh, visit slido.com, enter the code office talk, and that will take you to our Q&A page, which I'm really hoping we can keep running and keep doing more of on the podcast. And ideally, I'd love to be able to bring up some of these questions with the guests uh, and see what the answers they have as well, uh, which would be really, really interesting to get their perspective and we could talk about it together. So I'd love to make Q&A a more regular part of the show. So yeah, just go to slido.com and enter office talk and it will take you over here. And if you look at uh, the list of questions and you don't see any, it's because I've just answered all of them and ticked them off. But normally what you'll be able to do is actually see all the other questions that are, have been asked and you can vote for them and that will bring them to the top and get them answered sooner. Uh, So that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time. 